Good morning, church. Good morning. How you guys doing? Man, you know, I'm a little short, so I'm going to have to adjust this just a little bit. Just a little bit. All right, amen. <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for this time that we get a chance to consider your word. Thank you for the blessings of friendship. Thank you for the blessing of fellowship and just how much you love us. I pray that you be with this time, and uh, God, uh, just be with those that are not here today. I know that uh, we're grateful uh, for all of our, our family, extended and otherwise. Please be with this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, I have some good news for you guys. I get to read a letter, and uh, that'll explain everything. Uh, Edgar and Don, as well as Aldwin and Elsie, are out of town today. They are speaking at a at speaking and coordinating a marriage retreat this morning. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and read this letter, and then we'll get into the lesson. This is from Doug and Joanne Weber. A cheerful looks a cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. Proverbs 15:30. Good morning, brothers and sisters. We have a few important things to communicate, and we ask for your full attention to this lengthy letter. It's not that long. <laughs> Firstly, we have great news to share with you today. Robert and Michelle Carrillo informed us on Friday evening that they have formally accepted our offer to fill the role as the new regional evangelist and women's ministry leader. That's right. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to read it again. <laughs> Robert and Michelle Carrillo informed us on Friday evening that I, that. They have formally accepted our offer to fill the role as the new regional evangelist and women's ministry leader of the, Metro, of the MLA region of the LA Church of Christ. We were blessed and fortunate to have the process that led to the offer of the position being made to the Carrillos being facilitated by Steve Staten, organizational health consultant. He was asked and contracted by our regional leadership teams in our time of need last year to consult and help us with conflict resolution and church process development, and lastly, with our ministry search and hiring phase. This is what Steve has to say about the hiring process and the Carrillos. My direct involvement with Metro LA is concluding, and I'm happy to, to report how things are being set up for the next era. Over the last six months, we have been striving to find a region leader for Metro LA. We have interviewed some great servants. A match was hoped for that was specified by document titled Next Steps and Team Collaboration. A solution would come about through examining background history, outside endorsements, the general consensus of LA leaders, Metro LA staff, and Team C, a group of non-staff leaders in Metro LA. We did, not have, we did not have close consensus on earlier candidates for reasons that are not specified because of confidentiality. However, in Robert and Michelle Carrillo, we found a strong sweet spot. Robert and Michelle have served in Miami, New Jersey, Puerto Rico, Mexico City, Jamaica, and San Diego. I've talked to coworkers in the, in the far past, in Miami, to San Diego, to Hope Worldwide. Michelle's strengths include leading through discipling, D-groups, and developing events. Her presence is best appreciated through relationships, ministry, health, and growth. Her style is serving as a guide from the side rather than the stage, sage from the stage. You got to appreciate that. That's got to be from like the 70s or something, right? Um, her women's ministries that are comparable to Metro LA's urban culture and diversity, such as Miami and New Jersey, grew exceptionally. 
Robert's strengths are relational, vision, inspiration, and biblical teaching. I'm very aware of Robert's relational gifts, including his collaboration skills. His set of skills were ideal for realigning hope with our churches and increasing raising outside support. Hope went from a two-star to four-star charity rating and increased overall annual revenues from $12 million to $20 million. However, Robert believed a different kind of nonprofit leader is needed for the next era. It is difficult to imagine how anyone else could be more suited for bringing Metro LA forward. With love and respect, Steve Staten. I also talked to past co-workers and supervisors of the Carrillos. They are highly respected throughout our brotherhood of churches as church leaders and church builders. What was shared with me agrees with what Steve stated previously. Additional strengths shared with me of Robert include knowing how to create positive change, knowing how to effectively train and motivate others, being a leader of leaders, working his heart out, and being everywhere. Michelle is known as a deeply spiritual woman and a very effective women's ministry leader. In our time with them, we have found Robert and Michelle to be extremely engaging, fun, relational, open, and sacrificial, as well as being deeply committed to Jesus, growing his church, and serving the poor. They are very excited and honored to accept this role and look forward to to this journey with all of us. We are extremely blessed by God to have them serve as our new regional evangelist and women's ministry leader. They are slated to begin with their new role with us by November 1st. They are currently in the process of selling their home in San Diego in order to relocate to L.A. with their family, which now includes their niece and five dogs. Please keep them in your prayers. Secondly, I want to take several. I want to make several acknowledgments. First, the Ministry Leadership Council: Rafael Lua, Pedro Garcia, Steve Marici, Ron Quint, and Jerry Sugarman. Exodus seventeen twelve reads: When Moses' hands grew tired, they, Aaron and Hur, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. These brothers came into our region at a time of great need and held up our arms while God steadied our uh, ship in Metro LA. Additionally, secondly, I also wanted to acknowledge Steve Staten, our organizational health consult- consultant. First Thessalonians 5.13b commands us to live in peace with each other, and Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God, Matthew 5.9. He helped us learn how to start the process of resolving con- uh, significant conflict and healing long-standing wounds in our ministry, thereby bringing about much-needed and long-awaited peace. We thank these men for their love for our ministry as they truly have been friends who stick closer than a brother. Proverbs 18, 24. As you have have opportunity, please let them know how much their efforts are appreciated. Lastly but not least, I want to thank our ministry staff members, RFAG, Team C members, and the interview team members for your countless hours of service, your perseverance, and your prayers. Thanks to so many of you as well as Uh, as well, who sacrificed the time to meet, discuss, and share your opinions during our surveys and consultations. All of these collective efforts through through your time and energy helped us arrive at the momentous time for our region. Most of all, thanks for your patience, prayers, forgiveness, and love. Let us give all the praise and glory to our great God for his abundant blessings at this time, for we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Romans 8.28. We are excited about the future of Metro LA as we embark on a new era and look forward to many souls being saved to the glory of God. Let us open our hearts to the Carrillos as they relocate to the LA area in order to lead our ministry, and please keep them in our ministry in your prayers. Joyfully, Doug and Joanne. Amen. So I'm glad to be able to share that good news with you guys. I'm really excited about about them coming. Um, 
All right, the lesson of the day today is entertain the angels. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 1. It says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison and those who were mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Um, talking about suffering, uh, on Friday night, I decided, okay, Canella and I, you know, we we're going to go hang out. So I said, Canella, what do you want to do? And if you don't know Canella, um, if you're visiting with us, Canella's my 14-year-old uh, daughter. She's in high school, first year, and she likes scary movies. And Stephen King decided, you know, or they decided to make the second part of It. And I'm not sure if you guys are fans, but I'm not a big fan of Stephen King, right? So I'm like, okay, we're going to go. And because most of the time it's not really scary to me. It's kind of boring. And um, I just don't really, I'm just not a really big fan. Just don't like the movies that much. But anyway, but so we go and it was scary. (laughs) It was good, and, and probably his best scary movie that I've seen to date. It is not for children, let's put it that way. It is uh, very graphic and things like that. So uh, not something I endorse, but certainly it was a good time hanging out with my oldest daughter. Um, you know, at some time, were we not all strangers? Didn't someone show us hospitality? Didn't we ha- all have our own prisons? Psalm 107, verse 10 says, Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains. What were your chains? What held you in utter darkness? What left you without hope, discouraged or disillusioned? Today, people are numbed by their phones with constant doses of dopamine shots in our brains. Right? You know it's hard for us to, especially when we have our phones. I mean, you, you see us. I mean, most of us are like this. When you're, when you're driving down the street, you see people, they walk, and they're, they're not watching where they're going. Um, you know, if, if we're not too busy, I mean, I'm at home watching TV, and I'm like constantly looking at my phone. I'm looking at the same news programs over and over again. For what? The news hasn't changed from 10 minutes ago. Does anybody struggle with that? We find it easier today to be, get distracted. Strangers rarely talk to each other anymore. There was a stranger that talked to me once and changed my path forever. I was working at Education 2000 Plus down on Pine Avenue, and it was an African-American bookstore. The stranger worked across the street from me at Chicago Ribs. After a month or so after talking with me on September 28, 1997, Marcus Nave baptized me in the ocean just south of the Seal Beach Pier. And if you guys don't know Marcus, he's sitting in the back today. I'm so grateful for Marcus. Amen. And I love this time of year because the weather starts to get a little cooler. And as the change in weather comes, I remember the change that I had in my life 22 years ago. I am forever grateful for that stranger who is now like a brother to me. Over the last five years, we have seen our ministry continually shrink as a result of many challenges, not the least of which was poor leadership. A lack of faith by many, nearsightedness in our vision to save the world, and a lack of obedience to the Great Commission. It's been easy to get distracted by everything. On the contrary, 
We have also seen many here in Metro East stand in the gap to fight for what is right by faith. Many here have stayed to be loyal and faithful in the face of uncommon and maybe unprecedented challenges in our church. We need to take a moment to appreciate the love, encouragement, and family that we have here because the core people that are still here are likely here because of how much we love one another. We were getting ready to welcome a new minister and regional evangelist. It got me thinking about what heart should we have to welcome and partner with a new minister. It also got me thinking about what to do or, or how, to, how do we follow a new leader or minister in a way that ultimately will make God proud and give him glory. Many of us have already read Autopsy of a Deceased Church by Tom S. Rayner. There was really great observations of pitfalls that we can learn from that directly relate to our situation here. Churches going through challenges and struggle with poor leadership is probably a lot more common than we would like to think. Bad leadership is probably very common, and in good leadership is so rare that we get used to the bad and find it difficult to find or recognize the good. A lot of times our expectations of our leaders um, at work, at home, or at church is, is out of alignment with what our expectations are probably should be. So my first point this morning is be honest with yourself about your attitude. I know there's a few of us out here who struggles with a bad attitude on occasion. <laughs> Just on occasion. Not all the time, not every day, but on occasion. So if it's not talking to you, if you got a good attitude all the time, just forget this at all. You don't even need to pay attention to what I'm talking about. Um, is a new minister the key to a healthy church? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Who is really the leader and Lord of your life? Have you given thought to what a good follower should be like? What should they do? Most of the time we're always thinking about leading something, right? We're not always thinking about followership. It's not something we talk about much. But we tend to criticize others and have expectations so high that no one can meet them. We expect leaders to fix and repair every problem without working on the solutions ourselves. I'm just talking about maybe a little human nature. Don't we all have good ideas about how to fix our problem or situation, whether it's at home or how the church needs to be? We all have great ideas about what kingdom is supposed to be like. We all have great ideas about what the minister should be doing, what uh, your spouse should be doing, what your kids should be doing. We're experts in knowing how to fix all of the situations, but so many of us are unwilling to do the work and have a humble spirit and a willing spirit to do it. By nature, I can be extremely cynical. How about you? <laughs> do you naturally distrust human nature? Are you naturally cynical or critical? Or do you give the benefit of the doubt and assume that the person leading has the best intentions or the best of intentions even when something seems off? Do you confront respectfully and in private when someone sins, or do you talk behind their back? Right? That could be work, home, church, doesn't matter. Do you gossip and resist change, or are you an agent of change, positive change, that will support a leader's vision, even if it's different than your own? Because, you know, if it's just like what you want, you're good. You're on board. Let's go. And then as soon as something goes the direction you don't want it to go, it's like, hold up put the brakes on, this train's about to stop, and we do our best to make it stop. These are challenging questions that we need to answer for ourselves. 
And so I wanted to read some observations by Tom Rayner, because what he did and what the book is about, he studied about 14 different churches that died. And so it's called an autopsy of a diseased church or deceased church because what they focused on was why did they die? And so as I'm reading, you know, and, and Edgar's talked about this, and we've all kind of been talking a little bit about this, but I thought we could just kind of dig into it a little bit and talk through it together. And, you know, there's, a, there's like I said, 14 things, can't go through all of them, but there's a few of them that really resonated with me and, and convicted me, and I wanted to share them with you. He says, so what did the deceased churches cling to? What did they refuse to let go of facing certain death? Worship styles were certainly on the list, as were fixed orders of worship services and times of worship ser- and times of worship services. Some stubbornly held on to buildings and rooms, particularly if that room or building was a memorial name for one of the members of the past. Some would not accept any new pastor except the one pastor who served 30 years ago. But more than any one item, these dying churches focused on their own need instead of others. They looked inwardly instead of outwardly. Their highest priorities were the way they've always done it, and that which made them the most comfortable. It was not just the past they revered, it was their personal good old days. So I thought about worship styles, fixed times of worship, like we have to be flexible, right? It was really difficult for some of us to come to Compton. It was, right? It struggled, and we had to wrestle through that. I'm still not sure if everybody's coming. You know, there's a few people still, still not here, and that's, that's okay. You know, if they, if they don't find it that, you know, this is a place for them, that's fine. But the place was very difficult for them to get around or over. Buildings and rooms, it's got to be a certain way. A new pastor was not accepted, um, you know, or sometimes we want that unique pastor that really resonated with us, right? That one that we felt like was such a good leader for us. And the challenge is, if you look around the room, there's so many people from different races and cultures that resonate from different backgrounds, and we can't meet everybody's need all together. So how do we come together as a family and as a church when the minister that you wanted isn't the one that got chosen? Can we focus on you know, one of the things he talked about here is how they would focus on our, their own needs instead of the needs of others. What an incredible blessing it is that we get a chance to focus on meeting others' needs. It's one of the most challenging things that we do. However, the Bible says he refreshes others will himself be refreshed or herself be refreshed. It's a refreshing thing to give of yourself, to love people. It encourages our own spirits. You know, inward, he, we talked about how they were inward looking instead of outward. The way that the, the way we have always done it and for our own comfort, that was one of the things that he pointed out. It's like it has to be exactly the way we're used to. We, they talked about personal good old days, personal preferences and styles. I thought about that because I grew up in the campus ministry. We did things a certain way. I always go back to, in my own mind, to the good old days. And that's in my mind. When I was sharing a, an apartment with Marcus Nay, that was the good old times for me. And we had a good old time. And it was great. But that's not my experience today. I'm no longer in the campus ministry. I got a family. I got, we got different things going on today. Will we be a church that is loving, welcoming, collaborative, hardworking, and obedient to the gospel message and the Great Commission? Or will we pick and choose what we will obey? All of this really comes down to attitudes of the heart. The second point. 
Be honest with yourself about your commitment to the Great Commission. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Maybe in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. How many did disciples or apostles were there at the beginning? There was twelve. One thought Jesus was tripping. Right? That's what happened. He thought he was not legitimate. He thought he was a fraud. There was something in his heart that got the best of him, and he decided he didn't really want to continue. In verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I probably could have asked any of you, any of you to, to recite that by heart, and you probably could have. You have your book with you. I didn't ask anybody to bring it, but I'm going to read again for another passage. Observations by Tom Raines. One of my favorite country singers is Alan Jackson. He has countless hits, but one of my favorites is Remember When. The song is written from the perspective of an older man to his wife as he recounts all the times they have experienced together, both good and bad. It is a sweet song that ends with these lyrics. Remember when we said, we, when we turn gray, when the children grow up and move away, we won't be sad, we'll be glad for all the life we've had, and we'll remember when. Nostalgia can be good, it can be fun and healthy, we certainly need to remember when, but as I noted earlier, we can't live in the past and we can't recreate the past. We do remember when, but we move on. Our autopsy revealed a lot of nostalgia about the growth of the church. There was a lot of remember when about particular years of growing numbers and high attendance days. However, members of dead or dying churches often overlook the reason behind those years of growth and expansion. Thriving churches have the Great Commission as the centerpiece of their vision, while dying churches have forgotten the clear command of Christ. Christ. There are a number of New Testament passages where Jesus sends out his followers. The text that is used most often to refer to the Great Commission is Matthew 28, 18, or 19 through 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The imperative is in those verses is go. But as we go, there are several sub-commands. We are to make disciples, we are to baptize, we are to teach. Those are a lot of action words. But the deceased church somehow, somewhere in its history, forgot to act upon the Great Commission. So they stopped going and making disciples and baptizing them and teaching them. Perhaps I'm being too gentle to say the deceased church forgot to act upon the Great Commission. Perhaps it is more accurate to say the church decided not to act excuse me, upon Christ's command. You see, the Great Commission requires at least two points of obedience from church members. They are to go, and they are to depend totally upon the power of Christ. That's why Jesus reminded them, I'm with you always. Christ was ready and willing to work through them. Indeed, Jesus commanded it. But the deceased church in its past stopped going, and it stopped depending on Christ. Why? Going in Christ's power requires effort. Certainly, the results are dependent upon him, but obedience is work. And obedience in his power means that we are praying to Jesus so we can reach others. That requires an, quote-unquote, other focus. 
That requires us to look beyond ourselves. That requires us to get uncomfortable. That requires us to go. As I looked at the deaths of 14 churches, I saw a common pattern. Obedience to the Great Commission faded. It usually faded gradually. It's not like one day the church was sending out dozens of members in the community and it suddenly stopped. Instead, the decline in the outward focus was gradual, almost imperceptibly gradual. It was like the slow erosion described in chapter 2. The efforts at obedience to the Great Commission faded gradually so that no one noticed. Or if someone did notice, he or she was largely ignored. There, the more vocal members usually left the church, the comfortable members remained behind for the death watch. <laughs> That's rough, huh? The death watch. <laughs> so perhaps Great Commission amnesia is really too kind. Perhaps that dis- uh, description implies that the members were not at all, not at fault, that they no longer had the ability to recall or know what they were supposed to do. Perhaps it would me- be more truthful to say these dying churches had great commission disobedience. They chose not to remember what to do. They chose their own uh, comfort over reaching others with the gospel. That is why the autopsy results concluded that the great commission became the great omission. Nostalgic, but willing to do the work like years ago. Years ago. It's, it's interesting because we can all think back during a time where we were probably or perhaps more uh, committed to the mission. Right? We weren't distracted. We didn't work as many hours. There's a lot of different things that we could think about that maybe has us nostalgic but not working like we did years ago. Thriving churches have the Great Commission as the centerpiece of their vision, while dying churches have forgotten the clear command of Christ. I thought that was interesting. Um, because here's something that's also very interesting. Right? We're thinking about great churches, but really, from a human perspective, when you think about sales, when you think about, I don't know, there's a lot of different churches out there. You think about Jehovah's Witnesses. You think about the Mormons. There's a lot of activity, right? Going door to door and their churches constantly grow, things like that. And God has set it up to where if you speak, most of the time you'll probably have someone to listen. But if we're not speaking and not talking, nobody's going to listen, right? You can almost bring a crazy message and people will listen. You'll find followers. All you have to do is look at history. You can look at the mass murders and killers of society that, you know, the, the, uh, the Joneses of the world. What was his name? John Jones? What was his Jim name? Jones. Jim Jones. Not John Jones. Jim Jones. That's a UFC fighter, right? So Jim Jones, right? Drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, people that were like, I'm drinking that Kool-Aid. But we need to be preaching the gospel in order for people to hear it and believe it. Fear and shifting priorities keep people from staying focused on the Great Commission. And so there's that action principle. Start doing the work. In other words, go. If you want to get better at something, go. You want to get better at the piano? You got to play often, frequently. It doesn't matter what the talent is that you're trying to acquire. You just have to start doing the work. Um, One thing that really stood out to me, though, is that our mission is not one of the world. It's a, it's a spiritual message, and it's a spiritual commission that God has given us. And it causes us to have to rely on God, right? Because we can, by our own human nature, maybe have a few people that become Christians. But that's not the point. God wants us to, to go after him. God wants us to be able to reach this world in a way that, where we rely on him. Another thing he mentioned was the imperceptible and gradual decline in being outward focused. We can blame issues on our gradual decline. We have to be honest with ourselves. How hard am I really willing to work and get uncomfortable? We are on a campus, the Compton College. I thought about all week and how I was thinking, 
how can we help the church grow, right? We, what's our job? Plant and water. And I thought about a man or woman of faith, if we're going to cause this campus ministry to grow, we're going to be up here quite often, preaching the word, spending time up here, reaching out to these young people, and they're not always young, but some of them are going to be young, a lot of them probably are. We're going to be putting the time in on the campus. Sometimes we choose maybe a fishing hole might be, I don't know, the, 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 the Long Beach Marketplace. Whatever you choose, the point is you're doing it and you're reaching out. But it's uncomfortable, right? Yeah. It feels really uncomfortable to get out there and preach the word and do that like cold turkey. But, and, and here's what's interesting, right? We want to befriend people and we hope that somehow we can reach them that way, right? The problem with that is, is two-thirds of the people that usually become Christians, it's cold turkey. A stranger met you. Who, how many people met, were met by a stranger, not a friend, right? There's a lot of us in here, right? All right, so next point. Be honest with yourself about your attitude and prayer life. Observation from Tom Rayner. Uh, we're going to look at page 60. Most pastors in dying churches have shorter tenure. Our autopsies revealed that sad. I'm sorry. Our autopsies revealed that sad trend in in ten of the fourteen churches. Indeed, most of them left in the second stage of pastoral tenure, conflicts and challenges. When these pastors initiate or even suggest a change, there was a fierce resistance. They really didn't see much hope based upon the patterns in the history of the church, so they left, and the cycle repeated itself until finally the church shut its doors. Let's look at Exodus chapter 33. You know what's interesting? Remember John the Baptist, what was his job? He was supposed to prepare the way for the Lord, right? Why do you think God gave him that job? Why did he have to prepare? This is Jesus of Nazareth. And God still had another prophet prepare the Lord for him. Have you ever thought about that? Who was his audience? It was the Jews. It was the Hebrews. These people were so prejudiced and so focused on the Old Testament that if you came preaching another God, because that was a command, right? You get stoned, you get killed. This is a big deal. Nobody was open to it. They didn't mix with other peoples. They were not open to it. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 1, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promise on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. It's not funny, but it is. They were stiff-necked. Do you know anybody in your life that is stiff-necked? <laughs> it's me, but we got to point out ourselves too, right? We're stiff-necked in certain situations. We want it our way. We're not willing to do what we need to do because we're stiff-necked. I love kids. They get stiff-necked. <laughs> they get stubborn, right? But the funny thing is, and I always tell Canella this, we don't change as we get older. We get worse. 
instead of being more flexible and humble and, you know, and, 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 you know, just accommodating, if you will, to meet needs, we get more stiff neck. Will we be resistant to the change? Will we have fierce resistance or subtle resistance? Either way is resistance, right? You know how people, you've heard the term talking out of the side of your neck. Mm-hmm. Yep. What will we do? How will we be? How will we behave? The churches that made it difficult for their ministers see decline in how long the tenure of the ministers are. I have no idea what Robert and Michelle are going to bring. We hope they bring something good. Based on their past and everything that we know them about them and their habits and, and their patterns and what they've been able to accomplish has been nothing short of amazing. Most people haven't traveled the world and seen over 60 countries and served the poor and done these incredible things, right? Most people haven't. It's, I mean, I feel so humbled that they would choose us, too. They had other offers, right? Do you see how God was working? They chose, by God's, in my opinion, God's divine intervention to come here to lead us. Whatever God did to move their hearts. I'm not saying that we shouldn't challenge people, right? Because that would mean you're not thinking. But will we be resistant? Because maybe they're leading us in a way that's uncomfortable, do we view a minister as someone that is supposed to do what I want because I'm giving my contribution? Do we have high expectations of them but low expectations of ourselves? Are we ready to verbally lash out and beat down or encourage and build up? I mean, I've been there at different times. So we have to decide what it is that we're going to do. N another observation. I think this is the last observation. There's been enough observations this morning. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, it's challenging to hear some of this stuff, right? I was convicted too. Um, in, on page 64, uh, he, this section is called The Question. I asked him the question. I asked all of the survivors of the deceased churches, did the church members pray together? Inevitably, they paused. They weren't sure how to answer the question. You see, most of the churches, almost to the day they shut the doors, had some type of prayer time. It may have been a part of the worship services. It may have been with some type of fellowship, like a Wednesday evening meal. Sure, we pray together. The answer came in unanimity, but not with much enthusiasm, so I probed further. Describe your prayer times, I requested. That's where the revelation would come. That's where the revelation would come. That's where we discovered together and the question behind the question. As they began to describe their prayer times together, they began to understand more clearly. Let's listen in on one of those conversations, one that was re representative of most of the responses. The response. Dorothy spoke next. Oh, yes, she said, we prayed together as a church. We had a Wednesday night meal in prayer time. When we were larger, we were able to afford cooks to prepare our meals. But as we lost members, we had to go to potluck. That was a shame because you never knew what the other people would bring. I remember one night when we had 12 vegetables and one dessert, no meat, no bread. That was a shame. She had forgotten. She had gotten off topic, so I guided her back. Tell me about the prayer time on Wednesday night, I asked. Well, she began somewhat thoughtfully. Carl would pass out a prayer list to all of us. I interrupted her since I did not know Carl. She continued, Carl was a deacon, and he had a copy machine at his office. We used to have a church service or church secretary type and, uh, and copy those, but we had to let her go because we couldn't afford her. Carl just kind of picked up the slack there. You know, it was a sad day when we no longer had a full-time secretary. 
That was a shame. Again, I should return to the topic of prayer. That's pretty much it, she said. Carl would pass out the prayer list, and one person would have the blessing and pray for those on the list. Then we would eat. Of course, one time we had no meat or bread. That was a shame. <laughs> it was at that point that I asked the questions, do you really think that was a, was a meaningful time of prayer? Do you think that's how the New Testament church pray, churches prayed? Inevitably, there would be a pause and then an admission. No, they said. It was more like a routine or ritual. It would hardly qualify as corporate prayer in the New Testament sense. And then they would reflect. Their eyes would open. They would remember those days when church members came together for powerful times of prayer. She recalled 24-hour prayer time or prayer emphasis that the church has had. Those good old days of prayer typically continued with the best days of the churches, at least to the best of their recollection. No, not coincidentally, prayer and the health of the church went hand in hand. When the church is engaged in meaningful prayer, it becomes both the cause and the result of greater church health. Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 56. I realize that these things are, are, are challenging. I'm not judging you. Um, I hope you don't judge me. If you feel challenged this morning, uh, just consider. There, there may be a reason. Um, I feel challenged. You, you know what I, I, I find that I have not done yet? Latanya, she has a prayer time. I have not been to that prayer time. I feel convicted by that. I need to make it to the prayer time. Isaiah chapter 56, look in verse 1. This is what the Lord says, Maintain justice and do what is right from outside. My salvation is close at hand and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no unit complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and will give them joy in the house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of, of prayer for all nations. All nations. The sovereign Lord declares, he who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already already gathered. God's intention is that we will be a house of prayer and that he will bless us. Do our members pray together on a regular basis? What about corporate prayer? We used to, and on occasion we do, right? But so many of us, like me, have not went to Latanya's invitation of prayer. Maybe it doesn't work for you the time or whatever, but I'm just saying there are other times where we can get together to pray. We just haven't done it. And I'm just saying that is a characteristic of a dying church people that stop praying together stop caring about the lost world our hearts are hard so we lose touch is it really our mission are we really trying to save the lost world or really not we know that we are intellectually but in our hearts does it drive us to do things that are uncomfortable are we focused on the meat and bread 
Like that lady represented how much out of touch we can be, right? I want some meat and bread. We all love meat and bread. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing wrong if you bring some meat and bread to a prayer time. We welcome that too, but that's not the purpose of it. Do we remember when the church came together in powerful, powerful prayer turn, times? Are we part of those now? When the church is engaged in meaningful prayer, it becomes both the cause and the result of greater church health. Do we take prayer seriously? Seriously? Do we still believe that prayer is important? Do we believe that God works through prayer, or are we convinced that it's our own effort? So the goal of today's lesson was just to simply get you to think about talking with strangers again, entertaining angels, showing hospitality, being flexible in spirit, willing and ready to work hard again through evangelizing and personal Bible studies. It has been helpful to consider some of the sins that led church to die because it made me examine myself and feel so convicted. And I like, and I just have a lot of work to do. You know, we all want to please God and honor him with our lives. And we, we really need to consider how do we want to move forward? You know, are we going to be resistant to the new ministry folks? And here's the other thing. It's easy to prejudge. You know what I'm talking about. It's easy to look at someone and think, oh, that person would never listen. My neighbor is like this. I moved in, we moved in a, a year ago, a little over a year ago, and he is just someone that you would think that, like, he just reminds me, he's kind of like a gothic, like, he just kind of reminds you of someone that, I don't know, maybe not a traditional churchgoer or person or whatever, my own background, I would look at him and go, oh, man, he looks gothic, he looks like he's a Satan worshiper, listens to, you know, that super hard rock, heavy metal, Satan metal, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, that screaming, where it doesn't even seem like it's music, right, they just, you know, and they scream. Guess what? He does listen to all that. But he's also studying the Bible. Once a week or so, as much as he can make it, he initiates with me, Mike, can we get together and study the Bible? This last week, he's like, Mike, what do I need to do? He's almost frustrated because we're going slowly through the Bible studies. And we're talking. He's, he, in his mind, he wants to move faster than his heart is. Right? So we got to slow it down. Use the word of God. Let him be exposed to the gospel. And it's, it's slow. It's, it's going. But the point is, it's easy to prejudge, right? Easy to prejudge and think somebody wouldn't want to hear or know the truth or uh, care about Jesus, right? So I just want to encourage you guys today with that. Be open. Let's be flexible. Let's be serving to both the carillos and each other. All right, let's sacrifice for each other again. Amen, you guys. Amen. Amen.